Okay, so we are we're going through what we call the Bali Hamasera, right? The, uh, the, uh, the what we call the masters of the oral tradition, and that is the list of tzaddikim who were responsible for transmitting the Torah from generation to generation. Um, specifically, the oral tradition that wasn't written for so many years, um, and how it came from point A to the point of the full oral tradition. So we've been doing this for a number of classes, and we're using as the basic um, foundation the writings of the Rambam, because the Rambam actually enumerates generation to generation who was in charge. And the list that the Rambam makes is he he counts 40 people and 40 generations of those tzaddikim, again, who were above all responsible for that transmission, starting from Moshe Rabbeinu as number one, and going to the end to Ravina and Rav Ashi, who are number 40, and they are the ones who compiled Talmud Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud, which is, in, at least in the Rambam's way of putting it, the final book of oral tradition that bi- that's binding for all of Klal Yisro. Um, we discussed, of course, there's Sfarim that, you know, thousands of Sfarim that have come out since then from great Sadiqim. But as far as halachically binding, something that was accepted by all of Klal Yisrael, the final book like that is Talmud Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud. What about Talmud Yerushalmi? We'll talk about Talmud Yerushalmi tonight as well. Um, and the Babylonian Talmud is the encyclopedia of from where all oral tradition comes. So there's many great works, whether it's the Rambam or Shulchan Aruch and books of Fashur Kabbalah and so, so far that come afterward. But it all is somehow based or alluded to in Talmud Bavli, Babylonian Talmud. Um, interestingly, tonight, as we speak here, there's a celebration of a Siyum Hashas going on, which is all about completing the Talmud Bavli, which is something that's at the center of Klal Yisro. Le- learning Torah and specifically learning Gemara, learning the Shas, which Shas stands for the Shisha Sedarim, the six orders, is the Babylonian Talmud, and that's being celebrated tonight. And that's something that, that Jewish people do. Uh, in every generation and every time and every home is learn Talmud, which Talmud is the foundation of the oral tradition. So what Rambam is doing is he's taking us from Moshe Rabbeinu until Talmud Bavli and going through step by step who was in charge when. Now, in previous classes, we went through, we've gone through the vast majority of this list. In fact, as you mentioned correctly, we are at number 35 in the list of 40. And number 35 is one of the great tzaddikim of all time, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, otherwise known as Rabbi Plain or Rabbeinu HaKadosh. Any of these three is referring to the same person. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, again, he's called Rabbi or Rabbeinu HaKadosh, our holy Rabbi. What, puts, what sets him aside from everyone else is he's the first one who undertook to actually put the oral tradition into writing. And he wrote the first official work of the oral tradition, and that's the Mishnah which is the six orders of Mishnah, and that's, going back to what I said earlier, that's what Shas is, Shisha Siddharam, the six orders, and Rabbi Yehuda Nasi is the one who wrote that. Uh, Mishnah is very concise, it's very short, it's the first book of basic halacha that was written. Um, and I said he's number 35. Rabbi Yehuda Nasi lives close to 100 years after the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdash. So he lives really at the beginning of the lengthy golos that we are still finishing up with. Um, and that's why he made that very important decision of his time to put things in writing. 
He saw the future. He knew where we, where we were headed. He knew that there's 1,800 years of Golos ahead of us and that we wouldn't be able to continue this form of succession of just teacher and student and teacher and student in the yeshivas because the Golos was going to just get worse as it did. And he made that decision of putting the, the Mishnah into session. So he's number 35. So I have one question. Each one of these people who transmitted um, um, from Moshe all the halachas that he got on Harsinai, they each added to it, correct or not it, correct? Yeah, depending on the person, depending on the time. Added different, um, sometimes gzeres, sometimes laws, gzeres, a certain limudim. It was all based on those same foundations. There there's certain principles in Torah that could be used to develop a new halacha. And it was clear from where it came and from whom it came. They, when one added, he didn't say, I got this from Moshe Rabbeinu. That was a developed idea based on ABC, which the Gemara will explain where it was developed and how it was developed. But yes, the field of knowledge is growing. The basics of Torah are being used in order to give new ideas or new gzairis and so on and so forth. So Moshe Rabbeinu would have written it down. It would have been much shorter. Likely, <laughs> likely, likely, you know? likely, likely. But something that was developed and expounded like any great thing, which using it, you can develop for, for life, for everything that you have. Okay. So, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi. Let's, let's, let's start off with Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, which is where we left off um, in the past. Um, after Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, something happens, which is similar yet different to something that happened before. And I'm going to try not to be confusing over here. Um, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi is the seventh generation from Hillel. Right? You'll recall... You had 100 years before the destruction of the second base of Mikdash, you had the great Hillel, um, known as Hillel Hazakin, Hillel the Elder. Um, and the, 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 how, the uh, title of Nasi, the official leader of the Jewish people, remained in Hillel's family for the next seven generations. So just to run through, Hillel was number, I don't remember, was it 29 perhaps? Maybe 29? 29 was Hillel and Good. Right? I'm looking at my notes. Yeah. Okay, that's good. We won't tell. So, if Hillel's 29, Hillel's son was Shimon. Shimon's son was Gamliel the first. Gamliel's son was Shimon, whose son was Gamliel the second. Right? Whose son was Shimon, whose son is Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Oh, yeah. Did I say that right? Yeah. Okay. So, basically, you had the Nasi was in the family, and they were the Nasiim, they were the leader and the official ones that transmitted the Torah, and they carried those numbers of 29 through 35. In last class, we discussed that in that same time, there was a tremendous amount of Tanoim, the greatest Tanoim, the greatest Torah teachers that lived throughout those seven generations that don't make it to this list just because they weren't the one in charge. So people like Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai and Rabbi Meir, these are the greatest tzaddikim, Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Eliezer, all lived in that time, but they're not on that list. Okay? Now, after Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the same thing goes on. That there's his family chain, who are the house of the Nasi, and then there's the great Chachamim. But here's a big change. The numbers now that we're going to talk about are not going to be from the family chain. They're going to be from the Chachamim who took over the Torah leadership and authority. Am I being clear? So in other words, although again you have the family chain, and the official title of Nasi is going to remain in the family chain, as we're going to see, but nevertheless, as far as carrying on the transmission of Torah, now it's going to move from the family chain 
to the Rabbanim and the heads of the yeshivas after Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Okay? So, so very quickly, I'm just going to tell you about the family chain. It's going to be even a little bit comical, you'll see in a moment. From Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. I'm going to talk for two minutes about the family chain. And they're not going to be the numbers on our chart. So we're still stuck by 35. I'm just going to give you a little uh, peek about Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's family chain. So, um, I, I wrote it down for myself because I wouldn't remember this on my own. Um, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's son, who became Nasi after him, was Gamliel. Uh, if you're keeping track, which number Gamliel is this? It's the third. Right, because there was Gamliel Hazakin, and then there was a Gamliel of Yavna. This is the third. I'll, I'll, I'm going to call him number one after Yehuda Hanasi. Okay, he's Yehuda Hanasi's son. So there's, there's Gamliel the third. His son and successor is Yehuda Nesia. He set the calendar. No, not yet. Not That's Hillel. We'll get to that. Yeah, um, so number two is Yehuda Nesiah, which is really the same name as Yehuda Hanasi, right? But Nesiah, I guess, to differentiate. So he's Yehuda Nesiah the first, the first Yehuda Nesiah. His son is Gamliel, the fourth Gamliel. You with me? It gets better. His son is Yehuda Nesiah the second. His son is Gamliel the fifth. In case anyone tells you, oh, there's so many Menachem Mendels, you know, okay, let them look Jewish history. So his next is Gamliel the fifth. His son is Yehuda Nesiah the third. Okay? And his son, who's going to finish this dynasty, is Hillel, or called Hillel Nesiah by some. He's the second Hillel. So, how many generations from the first Hillel, who's the father of this dynasty, till the second Hillel? All these years, there was no other Hillel? Seven no. And seven. It's seven and seven, exactly. Exactly. It's seven from Hillel to Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, and then it's seven from Hillel's son Gamliel to Hillel II. Hillel II, now this, by the way, all this is going on in Israel, this is way after the destruction of the Holy Temple, Worst times for the Jewish people, persecution, right? The, the house of the Nasi was, was, it, was like, sometimes it was just a name without anything. But nevertheless, they carried that name and title for all those generations. So we're talking some good, I don't know, I don't have one of the things I didn't do in our classes and give exact years, because that's a whole different study of years. But we're talking a good 200 and probably 50 years after the destruction of the second base of Mikdash. In the time of Hillel II, that position was disbanded by the Romans. It was just it became impossible. And from then, there wasn't the official house of the Nasi. And because of that, this second Hillel did something monumental that he's very famous for, that we live by till today. And that is he created the perpetual calendar. So when we know that you know, next week is Rosh Chodesh, and there's going to be one day of Rosh Chodesh, or two days of Rosh Chodesh, and this year is a leap year, and all of that, which until his time was something that was decided every year by the Nasi. You know, what, you know how many days, Rosh Chodesh was really decided every month. And on a leap year was every year. And how, all of that was decided on a month-by-month basis. But once there's not going to be an official house of a Nasi anymore, and Klal Yisrael is going to be everywhere, so Hillel II created that calendar. So that for the last 
1700 years, we don't have to look to see is there going to be a new moon this month and what night is the new moon going to come out and then figure out based on astronomy should we make a leap year and when are we coming together with the sun. We don't do that for the last 1700 years thanks to one person. This Hillel II, the great, 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 great grandson of Hillel I, 14 generations later, um, the eighth generation from Yehuda Hanasi. So this was the house of the, really the dynasty of Hillel. And uh, I don't know well, I'm pretty sure, actually, that there never was in Klal Yisrael a dynasty that was 14 generations in a family. And that just says about the greatness of Hillel, and they were from the house of Yehuda, um, which is the, the official royalty of Klal Yisrael. Um, granted, Shevet Yehuda, granted by Yaakov Avinu and Parshas Vayechi. Um, and that was Hillel, and that was Hillel's dynasty. So, and I, I'm going to repeat that the first seven generations of the dynasty... I don't know the answer to that question, so I don't know. My guess is as good as anyone else's. I don't know. Um, it's just that's that's just the way it was. Obviously, there's reasons. It seems that Hillel, you know, there's just right. There's so many Yehudas and so many Gamliels and so many Shimons. No, what I'm saying is like Hillel, you know, like there's so many things that are done as a result of the first Hillel, and now the as you're saying, the calendar is, is the second Hillel. The second Hillel, so it's so you know prominent in terms of. It's an it's a, it's a obvious question, a good question, and I don't know the answer. For whatever reason, all of the people between the first hill and the second hill are all have three names. There's only three names there. Right. And that's Gamliel, and Shimon, and Yehuda. Again, for reasons that I don't know, it is interesting, it's fascinating, but that's the facts. That you have your 14 generations, the top is the hill, the end is the hill, and the 12 in the middle are three names. Yehudas, and Shimons, and Gamliels. And Sparty, When they're alive, right. Right, that, yeah. yeah. And that's correct, that's correct. This is before really Ashkenaz and Sephardi, I guess. Um, okay, so that is as far as the Hillel dynasty, um, which had, again, Rabbi Yudha Nasi right in the middle over there, the greatest of all, and these later subsequent leaders that we don't know much about, um, but nevertheless, their contribution is great, especially that of the last one who's Hillel. All of that, that was the family, that was the house of the Nasi that was in Israel. Now, what's important to remember is that at this point in time, Israel is not necessarily going to be the seat of leadership of the Jewish people. Because you always have Israel, but you also have Bavel, Babylon, or what today is probably mostly Iraq. Bavel was a, the place where the majority of the Jewish study and leadership was going on. Um, really, the Jews came to Bavel when the first Holy Temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Bavel. Seventy years later, the Jews went back to Israel with Ezra and Nehemiah to build the second base of Mikdash. But the majority of the Jewish people never came back to Israel. Again, for reasons that's somewhat hard for us to relate to now, the majority didn't go back with Ezra and Nehemiah. They stayed in Bavel. Definitely the majority of the yeshivas. So even though the official Nasi was always in Israel, um, and typically the leader leader was in Israel, but Jewish scholarship and Torah stayed in Bavel throughout the time of the Second Holy Temple, and definitely after the destruction of the Holy Temple. Um, that becomes the greater population of the Jewish people, and we'll see where more Torah was taught and led was actually in Bavel. But until number 35, which is Yehuda Hanasi, it was all in Israel. 
right? From till till number thirty-five, which is Yehuda Nasi, it was the leadership and the scholarship and the Nasi was in Israel. Wait, but you said that the yeshivas. Many of the yeshivas were outside, but, but the official. During the second base, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the Nasius was in Eretz Yisrael. The Nasi was in Eretz Yisrael. Even, for example, take Hillel himself. The great Hillel, who's number 29, I believe, comes from Bava. Hillel was called Hillel Habavli. Now, you have to understand also, Bava and Israel are not so far from each other. How far is Iraq from Israel? Right? So, so they were always going back and forth. It was always, the, the, in the Talmudic expression, it's called shayores mitsuyes, which means you can always get a ride. It was always the yeshivas back and forth. But Hillel himself came from Bava. When he led the Jewish people, it was in Israel, but he was from Bava, from the Jews of Bava. Okay. So why did this Navi curse the Yemenite Jews? So many people stayed... Well, the Yemenite about, Jews were... Ezra, Ezra when you talked about Medrash, yeah. everyone said, Ezra was upset that the Jewish people didn't come out there. So, so he wanted them to the come. Well, that, that was as a community. As a community, right. they stayed. They but Ezra, in fact, Ezra gave, um, m- most of the Levim didn't come up to Eretz Yisrael for the second base of Mikdash. And Ezra gave them a punishment that from now on the Miser should be given to the Koyin instead of the Levi. Hmm. I mean, it was... It was a, and he kept on wanting to have everybody to come. Yeah, right? he so wanted. He, right, so he tried to... He would come back and forth and he would talk and this. And I guess he was... Him, Somewhat successful, but 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 largely not. Wow. Largely not. I believe that they do. I mean, a lot of it has been destroyed over the years, but you know. Like but there, there are. Yeah, we'll talk about that tonight. But there are, there are. I understand sites and different things, different yeshivas. I heard who I once heard a fascinating talk by. Um, he was a chaplain of the American Army, uh, Goldstein, a Chabad rabbi. And he and he he was in Iraq a lot during the war, and he talked about different things that he saw, you know, ancient shuls and whatever. That based on the Gemaras, he was able to understand where it is and what was there and what was going on there. It's a it was the seat of Klaistov for over a thousand years. It was it was the center of Klaistov for a long, long time. They, a, a lot they did. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that. Like you know, thirty five hundred years old. No, no, it's more than. It's more than a thousand. It's more than it's more like fifteen hundred years. It's a lot, a long time. Bavel was the seat of Klali Yisrael. There's psukim about it, nevuas about it. Be that as it may, let's go now. Let's move on. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who wrote the Mishnah, and devoted his life to teaching the Mishnah and to spreading it amongst Klali Yisrael, had many great disciples, many. But today I'm going to stick with the main ones. Maybe if we, maybe next week we'll go to some of the on the sides. He had three primary disciples who all together constitute the next number, number 36. The three greatest disciples who, are, who Rambam sees as the successors to Yudha Nasi were Rav, plain Rav, Reish Beis, Shmuel, and Rabbi Yochanan. Now, not to be confused with Rabbi Yochanan and Ben Zakkai, who we learned about way back when. We're talking now about Rabbi Yochanan plain. Uh, so there's Rav, Shmuel, and Rabbi Yochanan. Now, interest, they ultimately parted. Rav and Shmuel went to Bavel and headed two of the great yeshivas of Bavel that we'll discuss. Rabbi Yochanan remained in Eretz Yisrael. But these were the three foremost disciples of, of Rabbi Huda Hanasi, or at least foremost as far as importance in succession. And I'm not here measuring one greater than the other, but as far as the succession of Torah, 
they are in, in Rambam's list, they represent generation number 36 of the ones bringing the Torah to the next generation. Now, those three together, those three together, in, two different, in, in really three different places, two in Bavel, one in Eretz Yisrael. Now, the oldest of them was Rav. Rav was a great one, was from the Chasheva, from the very uh, prominent students of Rabbi Danasi. Um, something I should say, until Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the sages of that entire time up till Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi are called the Tanoim. They're the sages of the Mishnah. The sages of the Mishnah are called the Tanoim. From Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi and on, the sages are called the Amoraim. So the sages of the Talmud are the Amoraim. The word Amora means, I guess, from Amira, from saying that they said Torah, but it's just to differentiate. There's the Tanoim, or the sages of the Mishnah, that end in the era, in the age of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, and after him starts the Amoraim. So really, not Ra- including him, Rabbi, not including Rabbi. Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi is a Tan, for sure, for sure. Now, so technically, Rav Shmuel Rabbi Yochanan is the beginning of the generation of the Amoraim. So, for example, an Amora cannot argue with a Tana. In the rules of Torah, in the rules of, of I don't know how to say that, I don't know, hierarchy doesn't sound like a good word, but in, in, the, in, in the rules of how Torah is set, just like a Tana could not argue with a Navi. A Navi was a different age, a different generation, different type. So there's Navim, there's Tanaim, and there's Amoraim. So an Amora doesn't argue with a Tana. In, in the Talmud, when they'll be discussing and an Amora will say something, if a Tana will say differently, that's the end of the conversation, unless the Amora can source his words in another Tana. So it supersedes, is that? Yeah, the Tana is supersedes halachically. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the Gemara says that Rav has the distinction that he's considered on the level of a Tana to argue with a Tana, if necessary. Even though he was already the beginning of the next generation, but he was still close enough and great enough and accepted enough so that the, the, um, the Talmudic phrase is Rav Tanahu Upalig, which means Rav is like a Tana and he can argue even on those who were in previous generations before him. And that's just the stature that Rav had. Interestingly, let me digress for one moment. Tonight is, of course, the Alter Rebbe's Yurtzeit, right? The Alter Rebbe, the Fan Chabad. The Alter Rebbe was called by many the Rav. In fact, the Shulchan Aruch that the Alter Rebbe is called, wrote is called Shulchan Aruch HaRav. The Alter Rebbe's greatness was such that they said on him that same quote that the Talmud says about Rav, said, Rav Tanahu Palig, the Alter Rebbe's greatness was such that wherever he would say his opinion halachically, he was able to hold his own, so to speak. But that's just, that, that's the name, the Alter Rebbe is known throughout the world, the Shulchan Aruch of the Rav. And again, this is Chabad and non-Chabad alike, the Alter Rebbe was given that title. Similar to that Rav so many, uh, so long, you know, uh, you know 1,500 years earlier. Um, that's just to talk about tonight for a moment. But back to here. So, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi has these three great Talmudim. Rav travels to Bavel and becomes the head of the yeshiva in Nahardo'o. Naharda is a city in Bavel, and I don't know the geography of it. We're in Babylon it is, and I, I would, I'm assuming that people do know nowadays what's what and where. But Rav initially assumed the position in the yeshiva of Naharda'a. Ultimately, though, he moved over and opened a yeshiva in a place called Sura. 
and Shmuel became the head of the yeshiva Nahardo. So in this first generation, post Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, there are two great yeshivas in Babel, Sura and Nahardo'a, and that is Rav and Shmuel. Rav is significantly older than Shmuel. Um, and they lead, they had the two, the two primary um, houses of study in Bavel. And again, they're teaching Mishnah and discussing Mishnah in Bavel. Um, Rav and Shmuel had many debates halachically in the Talmud. Interestingly, the Talmud says a very interesting rule, which is that Rav had a special expertise in areas of what we call Isser Veheter. Isser Veheter means not monetary law, but you know, um, kosher and non-kosher, purity, tuma and tara laws, um, marriage, marital, divorce laws. Rav's special expertise was in Isser Veheter, and Shmuel's special expertise was in Dine Mominus, monetary law. So whenever they debated, so the, the, the Gemara says, if it's a debate in, in, in uh, Isser, in issues of uh, prohibitions, the Allah is going to be with Rav. If it's a discussion in monetary laws, the Allah is going to be with Shmuel. And the Rebbe would quote that many times in saying that whenever you have a debate, you always have to look at where that person's expertise is. You know, if two Rabbanim are debating, but if one's expertise is in that area, then the Allah is with him. And the Rebbe said that especially whenever you have debates that relate to Hasidus types of areas, and you have to know to someone whose expertise is Hasidus and Kabbalah. You can't have a, a debate about a concept of Hasidus and you have a halachic authority debating a Hasidic authority. Everyone's, everyone has to be heard in their expertise. And that was where the Rebbe would use that concept. So be that as it may, Rav and Shmuel are these two um, great Amoraim, first generation Amoraim, and they had the two first great yeshivas in Bavel, in Sura and Naharda. While this is going on, Rav Yochanan, he maintained the leadership in Eretz Yisro. Right? They're all Talmidim of Rabbi Yehuda Anasi. They're all disciples of Rabbi Yehuda Anasi. And Rabbi Yochanan became the head of the yeshiva, which then became the primary yeshiva in Eretz Yisro, and that was in? No? No? Tiveria. In Tiveria was then the great yeshiva of Eretz Yisro. And that's Rabbi Yochanan. Um, and Rav Yochanan was this tremendous tzaddik. And the, the Talmud is full of stories about Rav Yochanan. Interestingly, Rav Yochanan was very young by Rav Yehuda Anasi. He's like a child. Rav Yochanan lost his father before birth and his mother at birth. Rav Yochanan. So he, he was born, by the time he was a day old, he didn't have any parents. And Rav Yehuda Anasi took him in. He saw his greatness. So he became a very close Talmud and like a child to Rav Yehuda Anasi. But he lived a very long life, like it seems over 100 years. And he was the Torah teacher for a long time in Eretz Yisrael. And really, and here you mentioned earlier, and I'll talk about it now, we talk about, the Rambam talks about the Babylonian Talmud, the Talmud Bavli, as the final book of authority. There's another Talmud, and that's Talmud Yerushalmi. There was two Talmuds being worked on. Both Talmuds are the explanation to the Mishnah. It's all Mishnah. But there was one being worked on in Israel, in Eretz Yisrael, and one being worked on in Bavel. Were they being worked on at the same time? Yeah, yeah. Well, the one in Bavel was, is a lot longer and took many more years to compile, and that's why it's the primary one. But the most dominant teacher of Talmud Yerushalmi, the Israel Talmud, is Rav Yochanan. This Rav Yochanan, who was this disciple of 
Rav Yudan Nasi. And he spent his life teaching the Mishnah and explaining the Mishnah and talking about us all the sources. He becomes the primary um, Amora of Talmud Yerushalayim. So why do you hear about it less? So, so you hear about it less because it's much smaller. It was finished, completed much earlier. What's the problem it's smaller? It just so has a lot right. less. It, it covers a lot less. It covers a lot less. And the Talmud Bavli had all of that plus, and it discussed that and debated that, and it had so many more rabbis that were involved in it. Because it was in Bavl, where the seat of learning was. So the Talmud Bavli is so much bigger and more encompassing. It's, also, it's easier to read. Many, many, well, that has to do with language. That the, This language is easier for us because we learn, learn it more. Do you learn both? Primarily in all the yeshivas, you're going to learn Talmud Bavli. That's the one that the halacha is much more based on. Um, interesting, just like there is, like in Chabad, there is the Rebbe Institute to learn Rambam every day. And in many circles, they learn Daf Yomi, which is Gemara every day. That's Talmud Bavli. In, in the Gerer Hasidim, learn Talmud Yerushalmi every day. The, um, one of the previous Gerer Rebbe's instituted to learn Talmud Yerushalmi every day so that they, the Gerer Hasidim will complete the Talmud Yerushalmi every, I don't remember how long, every couple of years. And they're unique in that. Now, they're not the, they don't own the Talmud Yerushalmi, right. just like Chabad doesn't own the Rambam. But nevertheless, in, by Gerer Hasidim, there is a great proficiency in it, knowledge in it, because that was instituted by one of the great Gerer Rebbe's to learn every day a shir in Talmud Yerushalmi. So there's really, every part of Torah um, is being learned by different factions of Kali Yisrael. And of course, real scholars learn all parts of Torah. And ultimately, ultimately one has to, know, has to be able to learn everything. There's just, you know, so much. Why is it just the men, not the women? Well, they're on this table. I mean, not, around this no, table, it's more women than men. That is women not fair that women don't learn the <laughs> I agree. I agree. Is, is it something, I'm okay. you know? I would love <laughs> to learn the Gemara. Okay, that, so that, that's a whole discussion for itself. And yeah, perhaps we can, yeah. we can devote it. Of course, of course, of course. There's no question that there's more Torah learning and knowledge by women today than ever before. And it's something that only is increasing with time. Right? Uh, girls' schools and the girls learn today so much and are truly knowledgeable in many, many areas of Torah. Um, much more so than before. And the way it's going, it only becomes more with time. Why it is that way and what, again, is a whole discussion for itself, which... I'm sure many have discussed, and we'll, we, we can perhaps discuss it more as well. But there's definitely yeah, more and more of that, so even why, Gemara. Why do you buy, when you get married, your husband shops? You know, like what's the significance? Because being that the Talmud Bavli remains the primary work um, upon which all oral tradition is based. Right? So there's Talmud Yerushalmi, and there's Rambam, and there's Shulchan Aruch, and there's Tur. Nevertheless, Talmud Bavli remains that fundamental book that everything really comes from, as far as oral tradition is concerned. And therefore, that's a tradition. It's not a halacha, the Bayashas, but that's definitely the tradition, and for that reason. Um, one quick episode about Rabbi Yochanan, a somewhat famous and fascinating one, is the story of Rabbi Yochanan with Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish is really Reb Shimon ben Lakish. Reb Shimon ben Lakish was Rabbi Yochanan's closest um, partner in teaching, in teaching and study in the yeshiva. But the story of Reb Shimon ben Lakish is far from ordinary. Reb Shimon ben Lakish was initially a very successful thief, robber, highwayman, who was a mighty person and was feared by all. And according to the story that the Gemara says, one time Rav Yochanan was sitting by, the, uh, by some type of a river and studying, and Rav Shimon ben Lakish saw him, and he thought he saw gold or something. And he jumped over the river. 
He was this mighty person. And, and they had this interchange, and um, Rav Yochanan looks at him, and in the ways that Sadiqim are able to see in a person's potential, and he says, your strength belongs to Torah. Because you shouldn't be using your strength to jump over rivers to uh, steal. Your strength is such that it can, you can become a great Torah leader. And Rish Lakish, and he sees Rav Yochanan had this tremendous physical beauty. So Rav Yochanan tells Rish Lakish, your strength is for Torah. Rish Lakish says, Rav Yochanan, your beauty is for women. <laughs> this was their interchange. So Rav Yochanan tells him, if you do tshuva, I have a sister who's more beautiful than me and you'll marry her. This is a story of Gemara. You know, this stuff you can't make up. Reish Lakish does tshuva, marries Rabbi Yochanan's sister, and becomes an equal to Rabbi Yochanan in Torah study. The Gemara says that the amount of efforts that he exerted in his Torah study, he would learn entire days and forget about eating and drinking and anything. Someone had to come and bring you something to drink. He, all of that energy and all of that koch that he, until then, used to be this master thief and head of, of, of highwaymen, was able to be totally transformed to his diligence and terror. So Rish Lakish is really another Rabbi Kiva. Same idea. Someone who got a late start, who's someone, you know, anyone looking at him would think that... His name is Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish. So for short, it became Rish Lakish. And he became Rabbi Yochanan's Chavrusa and Chavr, and really teacher together with Rabbi Yochanan. There in the... uh, Rabbi Yochanan looked at him as a partner in his teaching. That's just one of the fascinating stories about the greatness of Rabbi Yochanan, who was able to see in the highwaymen that he could be an Amor amongst the Jewish people, and that they become partners and, and debate many times in the Gemara, the final points of Allah, but that's Rav Yochanan and Rish Lakish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what time? It's 41. Okay. So, so, what, what we, so we're, all on, we're still on number 36, and again, so number 36 is these three tzaddikim. Rav and Shmuel are in Bavel, they're in Surah and Naharda'a, leading the yeshivas there. Rav Yochanan is in Eretz Yisrael, he's leading the yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. Rav Yochanan is going to have a number of disciples, none of them are going to be on our list now, because the leadership is shifting really to Bavel, where the yeshivas are. So Rav Yochanan is the last person on our list from Eretz Yisrael. Till now, everyone was from Eretz Yisrael, but now it's just The next one, who's going to be number 37 on our list, um, is someone whose name is Rav Huna. Um, hey, Vav, Nun, Aleph, Rav Huna, a very common name in the Talmud. His, his rulings and his debates and his questions and his answers. Um, we don't know a lot about him. I mean, we know some you know, tidbits, but we do know that he was able to study Torah from all of these three. Rav Huna was spent time in Israel studying by Rav Yochanan. He spent time by Rav. He spent time by Shmuel. Ultimately, he replaced Rav as the head of the yeshiva in Surah. Right? Remember, Rav was in Surah, Shmuel was in Naharda, and Rav Huna ultimately, um, basically Rav is going to pass away in Surah, and then Shmuel is the primary teacher of the time. Um, and then Rav Huna is taking over Rav and Surah. Shmuel is going to pass away, and Rav Huna is going to be the next um, accepted leader and final authority of that time is going to be Rav Huna. And again, in Rambam's listing, he's number 37 in, in that transmission. That's Rav Huna. So he did Isra, Terramam. Yeah, everything, everything. Oh, all, all, yeah, all of them did everything. Right. But when, when you had more than one, more were, you know. Well, he said that you had a 
Which was more common. Most of these were number were one. After Behuda Anasi, sort of it broke up in these in these ways. Okay. After Ravuna, we have another Amora. These are all Amora now, who's again mentioned throughout the Gemara very numerously. And that's Rabba. Reish Beis, hey, Rabba. Um, Rabba actually now is going to head a yeshiva in a third location in Bavel. Till now we talked about Sura and Naharda'a. Now there's a third yeshiva that's going to open up that's going to attract, it seems, most of the disciples, and that is in Pumpedisa. Um, likely there's a name similar to that today in Iraq, I'm not sure. Uh, but that was Pumpedisa, and that was where Rabba became the head he, he was the head of that yeshiva, and after Ravuna passed away, he became the accepted authority of his time. This is Rabba. No. That, we'll get to Rava soon. There's, uh, Rava's contemporary was Abaye. But we're before that. We're Rabba. No, but they're mentioned. Like, yeah, yeah, they're all mentioned. Rabba and Rava and Abaye, they're all mentioned in the Gemara. But now we're talking about Rabba as number 37. Interestingly, Rabba had a partner in Torah study, another great tzaddik that they were close, was Rav Yosef. Rav Yosef is not on this number chart, but Rav Yosef was a, was a very contemporary of Rabbah. Rav Yosef was blind, interestingly, but the Talmud talks a lot about Rabbah, comparing Rabbah and Rav Yosef. There's a question, who should be the leader, Rabbah or Rav Yosef? Because they were both great, and they were great in different ways. One, the Gemara says, was more encyclopedic in knowledge, but one had greater depth. So it says, it uses in, in Gemara terminology, it says, Rav Yosef, who was blind, was called Sinai. They called him Sinai. What does Sinai mean? That he knew everything. Like our Sinai, all the Torah was in him. So he knew everything. Rabbah, the Gemara says, was Oker Harim. He was, Oker Harim literally means that he had the ability to uproot mountains. That doesn't mean physically. That means that in thought, in ideas, in depth, he was able to uproot and question and answer and go deeper. And there was this debate amongst the Chachamim, who should be the one, who's, which is the greater quality necessary to be the Rav, the, the one. And ultimately they were both there. They were both there in the yeshiva and they both discussed things and so on and so forth. But, but Rav Yosef, didn't want to accept it. He wanted Rabbah to accept it. And Rabbah did. Rav Yosef, initially they said, Rav Yosef, Rav Yosef stepped down, he says, I'm not going to be the leader when Rabbah is around. And therefore, as long as Rabbah was alive, um, Rabbah was the accepted leader and transmitter of the Torah of his time. Rav Yosef was there. Rav Yosef was a tremendous sadik. They worked together, but Rabbah is the one who was the leader at the time. Was Rabbah mentioned in Tanya? Yes. Excellent. Right, right. In the very first period, now, obviously tonight, we can't not mention it tonight on the Altar Rebbe's yard site, that Rabbah is mentioned in the very first right. chapter of Tanya, and that is Rabbah is the one who said that I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Benini. I'm only an intermediate person. He's <laughs> a tremendous sadik leader of the Jewish people. But he said, I'm a Benini. And Dr. Rebbe uses that throughout Tanya to prove that a Benini is not as simple as we might think it to be. But he right? was Of course he wasn't. He was a Tzaddik. But in his humility, he felt he was a Benini. And his disciple, Abayi, said to him, if, you know, if, you, if you're a Benini, then what's everyone else? Like, like, how can you even say that? But, so that's Rabbah, right. Rabbah, son of Nachmini, Rabbah bar Nachmini. About Rabbah, it says that when that when it was time for him to pass away, the Malach was dispatched from heaven. 
the, the angel of death to, to take his soul, but he couldn't get near him because he never stopped learning Torah even for a minute. And he was always in that state of holiness that the Malach HaMavos wasn't able in any way to deal with him. And the Gemara goes through an entire story how the Malach HaMavos was able to trick him into stopping learning Torah for a minute and then he was able to take his neshama. What? And he ate something. Is that how he got him? Did he eat something? I am not. I don't remember that in the story. He was running away from the Romans and he thought it was the Romans. It's a whole complex story. But that's Sarabha, one of these tremendous tzaddikim, and he is number 38 on our list. Uh, just one quick vignette about Rav Yosef, Rabbah's contemporary. A very important one. And that is, Rav Yosef, as I said, was blind. And Rav Yosef was known to have said the following, the Talmud says, that he said, there was a debate at some point, halachically, if a blind person is responsible, is obligated in all the mitzvahs. As according to some, being blind is tantamount to death. So is a blind. So initially, there was those who felt that a blind person is not chayiv in all the mitzvahs. So Rav Yosef said, if somebody will come and tell me authoritatively that a blind person is putter, is exempt from all the mitzvahs, I'll, I'll make a big seuda. I'll be very happy. Why? He says, because then I'll be able to do all the mitzvahs as, without even having to, without being obligated. I'll be able to do it all, even if I'm not obligated. Then Rav Yosef says, he got older and he says to the contrary, he says, if someone will come and prove to me that a blind person is obligated in all the mitzvahs, then I'll make a big seuda. Because the ultimate way to serve Hashem is with a mitzvah. Not like, I don't have to, but I'm doing extra credit, but that Hashem gives me a mitzvah and I do it. And he says, Godol ha The greatest is when I'm commanded and I listen. Is that where it comes from? That's where it comes from. He's the one who said that phrase, Godol ha that the greatest is when we had a tzivu, we have a commandment, and we fulfill Hashem's commandments, that's the ultimate greatness. And that's where Rav Yossi says, I'll make a seuda, if someone can prove to me that a blind person is chayiv in mitzvahs, which is the halach. The halach is that a blind person is chayiv, is obligated in all the mitzvahs, that they can do, obviously, um, just like a person who can, who can see. But that was Rav Yosef who coined that phrase, Godel Hamad Suva Ve'ose, and he was... Okay, what you can't do, you can't do. But I'm saying whatever he could do, he has the same chiyu as everything else. That is Rav Yosef, the contemporary of Rabbi. Okay, number 38. No, I'm thank, thank you, just making sure everyone's listening. <laughs> number 39 was Rava. Not to, not to confuse with Rabba. Rava is with an Aleph, exactly. Rabba is with a hey, and Rava is with an Aleph, and Rava, again, is one of the most common names in the Gemara. You have Rava with his contemporary Abaye, and many times those are like the debates of Abaye and Rava throughout every tractate in the Talmud, um, but Rava was the accepted leader. Interestingly, the yeshiva in Bavel traveled. We talked about Sura, Nahardaa, Pumpedisa, and Rava headed a yeshiva in Mechuza. And again, I'm going to say, I'm going to beg lack of knowledge as far as the geography, where they are in modern-day Iraq. But in the Talmud, it talks about it. This is the Yeshiva Pumpadisa and Sura and Arda. And in Rava's time, at that point, it was the Yeshiva now was in Mechuza. And Rava was the accepted leader of that time. Um, and again, as we just mentioned, the Rava's constant... Uh, partner and the one who they were debating in halacha in many areas throughout the Talmud was Abaye. So there was Abaye and there's Rava. Um, almost always the halacha in the Talmud is ruled 
with Abaye versus Rav? Are they buried in Israel? Are they buried in Israel is a good question. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, it's possible. Many of these people, many of these people, though they lived and taught in uh, Bavel, were buried in Eretz Israel. There was always a thing to be buried in Eretz Israel. Um, like Yaakov Avinu. No, not Fess. I'm just not remembering. Um, you know who would know very quickly? Google. Um, in a se- in a se- in a second. You know that's one of the greatest ta- one of the greatest Chachamim of our time. Um, and yeah, Google will tell you where it is. And so, I, but I don't know. Um, Rav and Abai again throughout the Shas discuss and argue the halacha is almost always with Rav against Abaye. Um, interestingly, in the Gemara it says that there are six cases and six Talmudic disputes that halacha was ruled with Abaye instead of Rav. Um, and that's it's interesting. It's one of the first Gemaras that, that um, the boys will typically learn is a whole machlokas of Abaye and Rav about Yish, about giving up on a lost article, and Abaye says one thing, Rav says another thing. And that's one of the cases where the Allah is with Abayi. Out of the six that the Talmud discusses, there is an entire, very lengthy, Kabbalistic dissertation from the Rebbe's father, Rebbe Levi Yitzchak. Rebbe Levi Yitzchak is the Rebbe's father, the Rebbe in Yakantrinislav, now known as Dinepe Petrovsk. And he has this lengthy piece explaining what Abaya symbolizes Kabbalistically and what Rava symbolized Kabbalistically, what each one's level were, and therefore why they argued in all these cases, and therefore why the halacha is almost always with Rava, and why in those six cases the halacha is with Abaya based on the nature of those six halachas, and it has to do with Chesed and Givura and his Neshama and his Neshama, and, and Rava lived till... till Rava lived till... Uh, 40 and Abaye to 60, and that's connected with her neshama. And he goes on and on and on. Pages. Wow. It's fascinating and very yeah. difficult. It's and very Kabbalistic and everything Madrigus and so on, and connecting it to the halachas that they argue with oh, and wow. everything about them. And he just, it's a, it's a letter. It's hard enough to understand <laughs> the halachas. The halachas. <laughs> This, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, it's all part of a letter that he was writing to his son, the Rebbe. <laughs> in that letter, he went through like just pages and pages, sections of Talmud and explained it all kabbalistically, and that was all in understanding Abaye and Rava and where they stand and what they represent and why they argued and where they argued and why the Allah was with which. A fascinating piece. I, mean, I once heard a shir from Rabbi Yoel Khan, the Rebbe's primary choser um, teacher, giving over this idea. You know, he's, he spent a long time, and he's, he himself is a magnificent you know, Talmud Chacham, and he was able to really give it over and explain it in a way that just was amazing. And it was only a little bit of what the Rebbe's so father writes there. Abayin Rava. Yeah. Yeah. And they say here, there's a, there's a cave where they're found. But in the meantime, while all these people were in the bubble, there were still other leaders and other Yes, yes, Israel. there was, always. There always was. And in fact, there was also that family, Hillel's family is still going on. Remember, right, we, right. in the beginning of the class, we talked about seven generations there. That's all in the same time. Some opinions, it's, they're buried somewhere else, next to the Banias. But it's, yeah. all, it's all in the north. So terrible persecution going on in Israel at the time. And Babel also wasn't the best place in town. I mean, all while, Romans, all Romans, yeah. But all of this, we're talking about the Torah succession of the times, was all in some of the worst times for the Jewish people. We had massacres, and you're talking about thousands of tens of thousands of people in the terrible times, and yet the Torah always kept on going. Which brings us to number 40, which we started eight classes ago, so it's like a seum, and that is Rav Ashi. Um, Rav Ashi, and Rav Ashi's his contemporary was Ravina, 
and they were disciples of Rava and of Abaye, and Rav Ashi was the great Amora who actually collected all of the teachings of all of the Amorim, of all the generations, and worked on the Talmud Bavli his wow. entire life. He worked on putting it together and oh, editing shas. it the whole Talmud Bavli. Wow. That was Rav Ashi together with his contemporary Ravina, Ravina and Rambam puts Rav Ashi as number 40. How do you spell um, Ravina? Ravina? Rav Ashi is Reish Beis. Yeah. Ashi is Aleph Shin Yud. Ravina is one name. Reish Beis Yud Nun Aleph. And together, they were responsible for putting together this massive collection of teachings and debates and discussions of really all of the generations that preceded them. And they devoted their life to them. And that, the two of them together. Uh, Rav Ashi was the one in charge, Rav Ashi was the top. Uh, Rav Ashi lived a long life, I don't, like many years, I don't remember, and he devoted his life to it. Really, this was his life's work. And his work, which it's not himself, but his work that he was able to bring together, becomes the primary book of Teresh So when the Rambam says that everything comes from Hashem, he says, let's go back. Rav Ashi, to Rava, to Rabba, to Rav Huna. And he goes, oh, And that's how he takes us from step 40 all the way back to step number one. So... So what I want to do, I, I want to maybe do, even though initially we said six classes, and this turned out to be eight, I want to still give one more. And I want to, we just went through quickly a lot of generations of Amoraim. I want to spend a little more time, not just with the numbers, but with the Amoraim of the time and the teachings of the time, so that we will do Mir Sashem next week. When does the Geonim stop? After, Varayim next. Varayim that's that's next. next. Maybe we'll go on with that, I don't know. But, but um, this, this really concludes number 40. Next week, we'll have another class in Mir Sashem, a final class in this area. In two weeks, I'm telling you ahead of time, we'll do our annual Basi Ligani class before Yud Shvat. That will, that's going to be like two days before Yud Shvat. Oh, so we'll do that in two weeks in Mir Sashem. Yud Shvat yeah. is Wednesday, Tuesday night. So this is going to be Monday night. So we always discuss the basic one and then the ones of this year, which this year is, um, it's, uh, what is it? It's, uh, 90, what years? Is uh, nine, it's going to be 15, 59 and 79. So um, we'll see you next week in recession. Great.